Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio-Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I'm your co-host, Dr. Gina Gaudio-Grace, the co-founder of Divisio, the affiliate network for companies doing good. We have a fantastic show lined up for everyone today. We have my co-host and show producer, Andrea Adams-Miller, the founder of the Red Carpet Connection, joining us. Hello, Andrea. Hi, I'm calling today from Wimberley, Texas, the middle of nowhere near Austin. <laughs> You're out and about again. I am out and about again. Uh, this is my first trip out 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 of the house. <laughs> and um wow. uh, and it's uh, lovely. I came out here. Wimberley is absolutely gorgeous. Um, I, I had no idea that I'd be in this um, absolutely gorgeous scenery. Uh, the the people who live here who are hosting me have this uh, 14 acres of just gorgeousness. There's a dry rock bed, um, like a crick bed, and they have um, two baby uh, deer twins who've been scattering about and some foxes uh, that have dashed here and there, and they have a pet turtle in an enclosure. And, and so uh, even though I'm here for business, I feel like I'm at a private spa sanctuary retreat. <laughs> Ah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So uh, what I'm doing, Gina, is um, super fun. So I have traveled down here. Well, actually, um, I had been wanting to do this for a while, but because of the restrictions and weird stuff, I thought, oh, we'll, we'll kind of blow it off for a little bit. But as uh, the COVID numbers are going back up, there's talk about limiting things again. And I uh, didn't want anything to limit me or my business or my clients anymore. Um, and especially not my, um, you know, nonprofit, the Keep Smiling movement. So um, I had heard that Texas uh, was closing all their bars again and um, uh, decreasing their how many people can be in a restaurant and that the borders of Mexico for Texas were going to be closed. So I hopped on a plane and flew down here. Uh, So I'm meeting with my business guy who is um, redoing all of my systems for my business. And then we're going to do them for the keep smiling movement. So I am totally revamping everything because if we're going to be continued to be locked in, I decided that instead of um, complaining about anything, I was going to be a solution to the problem. So I'm now creating my own platforms and own virtual stages and opportunities so that my clients and you know all the people who we talk to have an opportunity to still do business and have an amazing life. So that's what I'm out to do. That's awesome. 
keep me posted on that and let me know if there's anything I can do to help you with it. I will. I will. And we have a really fun guest on today. Um, It looks like uh, Siri did a name correction on me, so I will do that for him. Uh, uh, His name is Jace. Excuse me. His name is Jess Stainbrook, (laughs) and he has an extensive background in strategic planning, nonprofit management, and brand marketing. He currently serves as the executive director and vice president for Invisible Disabilities Association, which is an amazing, amazing uh, organization that uh, really we'll we'll talk about it quite a bit during the show but it is has such an excellent capacity to take care of people and help them uh, be able to be recognized and show up in the world and and have so much service for them Jess also teaches communication visual storytelling and digital media at CCU's College of Undergraduate Studies the School of Humanities and Social Services and he's known for building successful media teams and championing significant visual storytelling efforts through innovative programming and strategic business initiatives. Um, He's been in the broadcast television field and he's received eight Emmy Awards and 29 nominations. His clients include MTV, ESPN, PBS, Discovery Channel, A&E, and many others. So uh, there's so much more about him. Like He's been with the Olympics, the World Cup, uh, Formula One, NASCAR, NFL, Super Bowl, and he has eight Emmys for the work that he's done in the world. Uh, One of them for executive producer Seven Days in Utopia, a major motion picture with the Academy Award winner. Robert Duvall and Melissa Leo. So just amazing stuff. So please, I mean, if I could, well, I can stand up and give you a standing ovation, but it's just me. So Jess, yay! Welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. This is interesting. I'm curious to hear what we're going to talk about. Well, you know, I, you know, I've had the I've had the pleasure of talking to you multiple times, and. And I do want to make sure that we cover those major things that the whole world needs to know about you. And at the same time, I'd like to take a deeper dive because the more I talk to you, the more cool things I find out. And I'm like, wow, let's explore Jess's awesomeness even more because uh, the world, more of the world needs to know about you. That's, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, the, uh, the, if we're talking about leveraging things in life, I mean, it's interesting. You said you're on your first travel trip since we've been in lockdown um my wife were and i were actually on our first travel trip last week um leveraging leveraging some friendships and doing some stuff um i I think andrea you're you're aware but but Jeannie, maybe you don't know we're actually preparing through the invisible disabilities association to host what we think is going to be the world's largest online relationship summit and um so our travel last week was actually to go interview um, you might know the name John Gray, who um, did the book Mar- Men Are From Mars, Women Are, Women are From Venus. Um, and we also talked with Warren Farrell, who he's got a new book out called The Boy Crisis. And, um, yeah, so we're, we're actually gathering all of these cool um, talks by all these people that have volunteered to be part of this huge event. And then uh, and it, it happens in September, the 14th to the 19th. And on that last day, we're actually doing what we hope is going to be the world's largest online date night. So we're going to have a comedian, we're going to have some music, and we're going to have a feature film, which you mentioned, Seven Days of Utopia. Um, we're hoping to, to be able to play that one for everybody to watch that evening. But the whole idea is to say, in the midst of this time when there's been so much anxiety and stress and, you know, we really felt it was an important thing to, to give people some tools and some understanding of, Hey, in 
proximity in close quarters amidst everything that's going on, how do we continue to love one another and to have great relationships? So, yeah, we're, we're really pressing, pressing through this thing. It's going to be a blast. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because the couple who's hosting me here, their son actually lives next door um, on this property. And um, they've been together, I think, 34 years. And they live out here in the middle of nowhere, um, have, you know, neighbors that are far away. And um, in observing them, they remind me of the notebook. Um, they both are, I, I believe he's retired as well. And th- just to see them, like how they talk to each other and how, like, he'll come behind her shoulder and talk to her, whisper in her ear when she's doing dishes, or they'll cook dinner together, and then they'll sit in the hot tub at night on the back porch. And I think now they're out sitting on the patio, you know, um, having their coffee together or whatever. And they're just so adorable. And it was very interesting to me to think, like, wow, they're so at peace with, like, I asked them, like, because I'm so used to a whirlwind life. I have tons of activities and t- tons of business things, and, and their son is the same way. He and I are – we work, like, 24-7. And uh, and I asked them what all they like to do, and they're like, nothing. <laughs> and they're so yeah. happy in it, and they're so Relax. cute together. Yeah. And so it's really been a fun observation to see how different – people and different couples engage and interact. And yeah, John uh, Gray, Dr. John Gray is a super amazing. I've had the pleasure of sharing the stage with him and talking with him in the past at a couple different events. So he always is a joy. And he does other things too that people may not know about. Um, Actually, I haven't had him on Leverage Masters. So so Gina, we'll we'll make that happen. I'll reach out to him and make that happen. Um, He also talks about ADHD. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned the notebook. Um, Nicholas Sparks, we're actually doing, so the first hour is when we have our speakers. We're doing two each uh, session, one-hour session every day. And then the second hour, we're actually doing like Q&A and a bunch of other stuff. But we've gathered all of these romance uh, novelists and writers. And Nicholas Sparks, I think, is one of the guys that's going to join us for one of the second hours just to talk about, you know, when you write this way, where does it come from? Where does it? So that will be interesting as well. Yeah, that'll be super amazing. I mean, that, you know, once people know about that, too, um, your uh, your stuff's going to really blossom. And it'd be fun. I, have you guys already looked at doing a Guinness Book of World Records for date night, uh, virtual date night? We have, actually. Yeah, we have a cupkin on that right now, and we'll see what happens. That sounds super fun. <laughs> um, so why don't you tell everybody what Invisible Disabilities is all about since we're uh, talking about the relationship seminar related to it? Yeah, for sure. Well, the Invisible Disability Association um, started oh, back in 96, uh, the, and, the, and the idea came about from the CEO and, and founder, Wayne Cannell. His wife um, deals with MS. Um, she has Lyme disease some other things, some autoimmune things. And so she had kind of coined this term invisible disability. You know, I have an invisible disability. In other words, it's something that you can't see because of an assistive device, but it still affects uh, what happens every day. And, and so um, they just kind of moved forward from there. And so obviously been in place for a while. Um, I joined them about two years ago. Um, Again, in your little intro there of, me kind of branching out to help nonprofits and different groups like that, really in strategic planning and moving forward in new ways um, based on the skill sets I have in storytelling, media, marketing, stuff like that. 
And so, you know, Wayne was a friend and we had met years and years before. And uh, yeah, so I just came on board to kind of help them take things to the next level and have learned so much in the last two years, actually. You know, you think you know a lot about um, folks that are dealing with invisible disabilities. And my goodness, there's so many other things going on. I mean, invisible disabilities really represents, you know, it could be a cognitive, it could be a neurological, it could be uh, a mental health or a physical health issue. Um, it could be chronic pain or chronic illness. I mean, it might be something like, like I said, MS or diabetes or epilepsy. Um, it, and, you know, the if, as we talk about people with disabilities, um, and invisible disabilities, it's literally the world's largest minority group. And that's something that people don't recognize. And it's a group that anybody can enter or exit at any time. In other words, you might have a temporary um, invisible disability where you're dealing with something. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's all these different nuances of it. What we do is we're out there really raising awareness, um, um, helping to advocate for these folks and creating different programs and um, inflation measures and initiatives that really help forward um, the idea behind helping these people um, as they're living with all these various uh, invisible disabilities. Fantastic. It's beautiful. One of the things that I love the best is that you have these ID badges now um, that people can wear to be identified as having an invisible disability should they desire um, for that to be known. So that way, like if they go to a store or a, um, the gathering, then someone there would be, you know, eventually, hopefully you'll get everybody trained so that the world recognizes this badge. That's my hope for you. And then they'll see, oh, that person is wearing that badge and they have an invisible disability. That means they're wearing the badge. They would like um, some assistance or help or, or, or open to being asked. And so will you tell more about the initiative for that? Yeah, for sure. And uh, I love talking about this. You know, it started with us creating some legislation. We call it the national disability ID. And, um, it started with us creating some legislation that would, uh, like you said, allow for some type of symbol or designated marker on government IDs, including driver's license for people that had invisible disabilities. Um, and again, what it goes to is the, you know, currently when you see that wheelchair icon, um, that represents uh, people that have accessibility issues. And when it was implemented 30 years ago, it just kind of has become the general disability symbol and it still works very well. But the whole idea is to say that, you know, if you have an invisible disability, um, that interaction might be different in the case of, you know, the, as a matter of fact, our, our legislation came out of um, a person in Ohio who was driving, he got pulled over. And when he handed his license to the law enforcement officer, he did not make eye contact. Um, I can tell you that that puts those guys on high alert because they're not sure what's going on. Um, the gentleman was kind of fumbling around in his car, and they thought he was drunk. Pulled him and handcuffed him and just, you know, held him. He would be safe. And, well, it turns out this, this guy has autism. And that's a perfect example to say, you know, had he had this symbol on his license, that entire interaction may have gone very differently. And so we, we went about um, providing um, House bill language that people that or the legislations could, could 
put this into legislation, make it law. Um, Alaska was the first state to have passed it. Um, we currently have it in a bunch of other states preparing to be passed. But what we found out and, and really took off with this idea of what you had mentioned, Andrea, uh, let's do the grassroots version. Let's actually create a tag that doesn't have to be legislated, that just identifies and has this symbol that people recognize as the invisible disability symbol. And so we have put that out there. And um, we're in the midst of creating all kinds of training programs as well that would include law enforcement, first responders, EMT, educators. We want to expand it to include businesses and retailers and restaurants. I mean, the whole idea, like you said, is that, you know, you could walk into a restaurant and, and someday we, we envision that the, uh, there'll be a sign on the door that says, you know, National Disability ID Friendly. And if you're wearing your tag, again, all of these things are voluntary. The, the marker on, on the driver's license is voluntary disclosure. So if you don't want it, you don't have to have it. Um, but again, it's something that if you want it and you think it's going to help. So that's why the grassroots effort is you can wear this tag, you walk into a place, and hopefully somebody would immediately see the tag and say, hey, how can I help? And, um, and again, if you don't feel like you need it that day or if things are different, you take it off, you put it in your pocket or put it in your purse. So that's really how it's working. And, um, yeah, we're just plugging through. I mean, it's online currently. You can go get the, the uh, disability ID card. Um, it's, it's a hard plastic card. It has the disability ID um, symbol on one side, invisible disability symbol, and then it has identifying uh, information on the other. So it has a picture. It also has a code that in case something happened and, you know, an EMT or C needed something, they could uh, put their phone up against that and it would take them to a page to help them get through that information. It also has an emergency contact number so that if, again, something had happened, um, you know, somebody could call your emergency contact and hopefully get some more info. So, yeah, really just trying to take tangible steps for helping people um, through this, this whole thing of living with invisible disabilities. Fantastic. So I, I am curious, I, I've never asked this before. So do they have to show some kind of qualification or doctors so forth in order to get the ID? Yeah, that's a really good question. In the, um, for the legislative side of things, yes. It's, it's much like the placard if you were to get one for your car. Um, and so we've added a few things to the legislation that, uh, so the, the ID symbol is one thing. We've also added a database that follows the car. The whole idea of having it on your license is, hey, what if you're not driving your own car, right? And so, mm. but if it, if, if it has it on the license um, in a database as an identifier, that's another thing that will help law enforcement. If you got pulled over, they could pull that up and say, hey, you know, be aware that there's something, somebody in this car has some type of invisible disability um, and, and it may um, affect the interaction. On a placard, um, it's the same way. You do have to have some kind of verified source from a, a medical doctor or another uh, doctor that proves it. But once you're in the system, you don't have to reprove it. So um, as far as our grassroots app, we, are, we don't have a requirement per se, but you are signing off that you uh, your own affidavit that says 
you do have something that fits into these categories, um, again, it's a voluntary disclosure. So we're starting that process of saying, you know, let's get something out there. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. There might be some people who choose to get one and, and use it incorrectly and they don't have something. Hey, there's, you know, people are going to misuse systems all over the place. I mean, you see sure. it happening um, with, with the placards and things like that. As a matter of fact, that's one of the biggest conversations we have or, or issues that happens is that somebody pulls up uh, and parks in a, in a disability parking space and walks from their car to the mall. Well, that just sets everybody off thinking that they don't deserve it. They don't, you know, they don't have some disability and that's not true. I mean, many of the people that we talk with and that our constituents have told us stories is that, you know, a, a, a police car will pull up and block them in to say, Hey, I, I just saw you walk into the mall. Well, but you have an approved placard and it's for something. And so we really are going out of our way to create the certified training that people have a better understanding of what exactly is an invisible disability and, and how does it play out in, in our culture today and how should we react, you know? Yeah, that that is very helpful because that um, the wheelchair emblem, while originally created um, for wheelchair accessibility, now that people now that we have other um, um, you know medications and products and braces and other invisible disabilities that we didn't even know that people had then, people have um, mobility ha- have mobility, and so they but they so they don't need a wheelchair. Or maybe they don't need a wheelchair until they get in the store. But regardless of that, it, it doesn't matter whether they need a wheelchair or not. They they still can't walk from the further end of the parking lot. They still need that um, closeness yep. accessibility. And so that's been, the I think, the difficult thing for people to see because they see the wheelchair emblem and think, no wheelchair, no park. And that's right. We're not actually what dealing, that means. Yeah, as a matter of fact, Ohio is the first state that we are – uh, asking for legislation that allows for a placard that has a different color. Like, I don't know if, I mean, if you're aware, the blue placard is a permanent, is a, is a blue, permanent placard. The red placard is a temporary placard. We're actually proposing yeah. an orange placard that shows that it's an invisible disability. Nice. So that, again, the whole idea is that, you know, if somebody, uh, uh, if somebody pulled into that spot and you could look, well, it means that there's no assistive device that's readily seen. Um, it's an invisible disability. So, yeah, we are working on, on those components, and we'll see how it goes. I mean, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of things that the ADA requirements um, actually do cover as far as invisible disabilities, but many um, HR departments aren't aware of it or don't take it into consideration, and that's, uh, you know, that those are – a lot of the groups that we speak to on a regular basis, you know, college diversity groups, um, HR uh, folks in corporations and stuff, just giving them more information and understanding of, hey, w- how do we care for people that have invisible disabilities and what are some of the positive ways that we can come around them to help them out and w- without other people thinking that, oh, they're just getting some kind of favor because they can't see something, right? So. Yeah, right. it's it's interesting. Gina, did you want to chime in? Uh, Gina had had a 
really a life-threatening uh, car accident in her past um, that mm. left her disabled where she was in a wheelchair and had um, complete care for years. Um, so um, Gina turns her mic on mute so that way we don't get double feedback. So let me just interrupt me when you're on Gina and uh, we'll have you chime in. And, uh, you know, because uh, oh, yeah. she's often, oh, good, please chime in. So I have been disabled for 24 years, and mm. I am considered totally and permanently disabled. But unless I have my walker with me, and I have it with me probably 90% of the time, people don't always sure. realize that I'm disabled. So I love this yep. idea because it, 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 it is a huge issue for a lot of us. You know, if I'm just sitting in a chair somewhere, people look at me and they go, oh, yeah, you're not a, a disabled woman at all. But then they see me get up with my walker. And I recently got a stroller for my little puppy because he actually has a disability too. So normally he's been riding around in my walker basket. And I wanted to get the stroller to give him more room so that I didn't feel as disabled. But the few times I've used the stroller. People actually look at me really weird when I park in the handicapped place. If I get the walker out of the back of the trunk, they don't look at me nearly as weird. So I get this in ways that not all of our our listeners probably do. So what what other suggestions do you have for someone like me for how the association can really help us? Yeah, for sure. Well, it, you know, you bring up a good point is that, and, and, and it's, again, it's it's a very common statement for people to hear someone say, but you looked good. Right. And exactly. About, and Gina does look good. Bullock, Gina right? always has her hair and her makeup done. She's always smiling. So Gina looks fantastic. And so <laughs> they don't have any reason. They don't look, you know, you, she does look good. Let me just put it that way. So there you go, Gina. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you, Andrew. No, for sure. Well, again, a lot of our, our efforts, Gina, are around the whole idea of raising awareness. And in other words, bringing it you know, forward so that people understand the campaign that we just created really does take that and, and um, puts faces on different uh, disabilities and has a little statement, you know, like, you know, I feel safer when I, when I, uh, you know, ride public transportation and I have my uh, disability ID on because if something happens, you know, I have faith in humanity that they would help me kind of thing. So uh, it really is um, getting the word out. Um, but also, you know, there, there's a whole level of, of patience that we need to create with with people that don't know what it is or or how to react. Or our biggest thing is about believing. That really is the first, that is the starting place is you have to believe that are living with invisible disabilities and be willing to hear them out and to understand what's going on. That's, you know, there's so many times that different things are said that hurt people's feelings just because uh, people don't know any better and they don't really understand it. And the, the, the irony in all of this is that most of us at one point or another, especially as we get older, um, are going to experience some kind of uh, invisible disability in, in some form or fashion. And then we'll, we'll have a different understanding 
and and it may change the way we look at it. So, yeah. And especially with our aging population, you know, our population is getting sure. older and older and older. At least the vast majority are. So it's going to be an even bigger issue in coming years. And with yeah, all that's sure. been going on with the protests and the riots and whatnot, mm. all related to race. I keep thinking to myself every time I hear it on the news. And why are they not doing anything for those of us that are disabled? Because there really is a lot of discrimination against those of us that have invisible disabilities. Huge numbers of people. Well, it's interesting. The the COVID lockdown has really um, opened people's eyes to the situation that many of of the people living with invisible disabilities, that what their lives are like. In other words, you know, there's there's days, weeks, months that that these folks can't go get out of their house because of whatever they're dealing with, and and have to figure stuff out. And so, it, it really has raised awareness and a sensitivity to. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. You know. Well, now we have a little bit better understanding. You know, because. We're, we're stuck in our houses and we have to rely on different services and things to help us out to get through stuff. Um, yeah. So, so it's, it's really changed the conversation a bit just based on what we're dealing with now. And again, our whole idea behind the relationship summit, uh, we call it the love ideas summit was really around, you know, bringing this kind of information um, to light to say, well, how, how can we deal with each other better? And uh, the, the, the word ideas in that, the Love Ideas Summit, ideas actually stands for Invisible Disabilities Education Awareness and Support. So oh, I love it. Really, yeah, we're really excited to, to offer this here in mid-September and uh, see how it goes for everybody. Andrew, we need to make sure that we introduce him to Sherry Watson. Sherry Watson is the author of the Americans with Disabilities Act here in the U.S., but she does an awful lot to support people with disabilities as well as to support nonprofit and for-profit businesses. She would be a great speaker on the summit. Yeah, for sure. We'd love to have her. My goodness, that would be incredible. I mean, yeah, she's been a guest here on Leverage Masters, so we can definitely Uh get her uh, in touch with you easily. And tell me her name again. Sherry Watson. And her <laughs> slash JV manager's name is Erica. That last name is escaping me, but bear with me while I get it for you. It is Erica. Come on, Erica. Of course, I put her name in here as Erica. But not let's, let's do it. Let's do it when we're off the air. I talk to Jess all the yeah, time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it'll be good. Uh, and uh, yeah, she's uh, she's an amazing woman. Uh, we she is she has done so many instrumental things in the world to really help people with disabilities and make things amazing. So it's been fantastic. And you'll have to forgive me here. I got a bit of background noise. Let me make that quieter. So probably me. How um, um what is the what is the I guess 
Jess, where, where do we go from here? You know, like you guys are doing these amazing things, creating all of this. Oh, you know, what is the, what is the future bigger picture, you know, five years down the road? Oh, for the Invisible Disabilities Association? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. We're, we're actually working on all kinds of things. Um, we have a very high-level green initiative that, that has to do with um, working with contractors and home builders that allows for using um, more eco-friendly materials that don't have as much off-gassing. You know, if, if you build a new home, just the OSB, um, the glue that they use in the the floorboards and the sheetrock and all that stuff has all kinds of chemicals that are coming out, usually for a couple of years. And um, so there's some, there's actually some great groups out of Canada uh, that are that are making some products that um, we have. We were working on a model home here in Colorado to see if we could get that that built, and uh, so people could actually experience it. Um, and we're trying to get those kind of like the gluten free thing, you know. Um, if you put gluten-free on it, they, they could raise the, the price and double it, triple it, quadruple it. We're trying to get it so that it's, it's equal with everything else that's going on. Um, we're also working on the thing, what we call the Ida Cares uh, mobile app. And uh, it allows for, um, it, it's like a personality assessment, if you will. And it allows for caregivers and care receivers to understand each other better um, both in a professional and a personal situation where a caregiver can understand how a person, uh, based on their personality, likes to get their care. So, you know, let's say Mrs. Johnson um, is in a, in a care facility um, and she likes to talk about family. So, you know, that's the first thing that the, that the caregiver might do before the treatment. You know, you might get somebody else that, I just give me the treatment and get out of here kind of a thing. So it really does identify those things back and forth and allow for, again, the the caregiver and the care receiver to have a much better understanding of how to work together um, based on their personality uh, type. Amazing. going to be absolutely amazing. So let's do a little bit of a shift, too, because I want to – we'll probably come back to Invisible Disabilities just because it's such a beautiful organization. But I'd love to uh, know more – have our audience know more about you and you know you've you've had 28 um, emmy nominations so it's uh obvious that you've been doing some pretty creative amazing work that people have recognized all over the world and i'd love you to share that experience and how that all came to pass oh sure well for the most part uh my entire career was spent in the broadcast media and, and movie world um, I, I left my real job, if you will, in 2006 um, to start a nonprofit to help other nonprofits. And it's how I kind of got into all of this stuff that I'm doing now. Um, my, my philosophy around that, that is, you know, there's a time when you need to move from success to significance um, and, and really pour your heart into things that matter. Um, and not saying that people don't while they're, while, while they're doing things that are successful. But um, sometimes that transition is, uh, is this, we call it like the halftime thing, right? Like we're moving to this other, other place after halftime to change the way we look at things. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, uh, I grew up in a pretty creative family. Um, started my first company when I was still in college and it took off and, and all those clients that you listed off, 
were all the clients of mine that included MTV and ESPN and all those folks. And yeah, spent a lot of time bouncing around the globe, um, shooting different sports things and working on different documentary kinds of things, which is where I got my Emmys. Um, and then, uh, I launched about 15 years ago or so I launched into the movie, uh, and feature film world. And that changed some other things and got a chance to do that stuff. Um, I'm regularly at the Super Bowl. Um, I do a, do a program that's inspirational for youth around talking to um, the the players and the coaches about you know what's most important in life. And again, really creating um, inspirational content that that changes the way people think about what they do or the players that they're seeing on the field. You know, my whole goal was if you're going to put a player on a pedestal for for him being good at a sport. Well, know what he's made of, know what his priorities are, know, know what he values in life. And so all of those programs have been very encouraging. Uh, you know, I work with people like uh, Tony Dungy and, um, you know, Tim Tebow and guys like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a regular way to um, encourage people, again, how to have uh, positive role models and things in their life that, that help them through stuff like that. So, yeah, it's been quite an interesting time um just and i can't help myself i'm always involved in some kind of media project as a matter of fact with invisible disabilities association um, we're working on a project with a producer out of oregon called unfixed and it's a documentary that features a bunch of people living with various disabilities that have really you know a, a lot of folks in the disability space are seeking um, answers and cures. And I mean, who wouldn't, that, that's something we, we want to know. Right. <clears throat> and, um, but um, this particular documentary is about a bunch of people who have lived with certain things for a long time. And they're just recognizing that, that they're probably never not going to have this. And so how do they get on with their life, accepting where they are and, and how to live with the particular disability that they have. So, yeah, Kimberly Warner is the producer director on that, and we touched base. And she she didn't know my background in film when we got together. It was really funny. She had just reached out to Invisible Disabilities Association to say, "Hey, would you be willing to help us promote it or this and that?" And then once she found out my background, we we got much more involved with her and really been helping through the process of you know making this thing go. So, but you know, for the most part, everything is kind of shut down as far as uh, TV and movie production since the COVID stuff happened. So, um, yeah, like I said, my wife and I were on the road for the first time last week out shooting, but it had been, you know, a couple of months since we had done anything because um, we weren't allowed. So, yeah, we're still trying to be sensitive to everything that's going on there and, you know, wearing our masks when we need to and being cautious and where we're going and being tested and stuff. So, yeah, just – Taking it a step at a time, I guess, as everybody should. Sounds, um, you know, just amazing, uh, you know, the things that you've been able to do and produce and make happen. And uh, will you talk a little bit about FSBN? Oh, FSBN? Sure. Yes. So F, like Foxtrot. Yes, FSBN. Um, about, oh my goodness, I guess back in 2014, 2013, somewhere in there, we had been, so I've been to the Super Bowl for, shoot, I don't know, 14 of them, but yeah, 
and um, <clears throat> had been working on these different programs. I mean, basically, basically, we talked to people um, about, uh, again, what's most important in life. And more often than not, that, that conversation immediately leads back to faith. Um, and, and it's just the way it is. I mean, when, when people stand on something, it usually starts with a strong faith in something, right? So we started this thing called FSPN, um, kind of a joke. We, I had done a bunch of work for ESPN, <laughs> excuse me, and, um, and the F really was Faith and Sports Programming Network, so FSPN. And we kind of started it as a joke. And but we decided um, at one of the Super Bowls to brand it and and literally put it on everything that we were doing just to see if anybody was paying attention. And darn if the thing didn't take off, and actually everybody recognizes it. So we're we're known. I mean, as a matter of fact, people know us when we show up. That well, well you're the guys that do the inspirational, encouraging content. Yep, that's us. You know, <laughs> we tell great stories about uh, meaningful lives and you know good good character, good role models in sports. So, um, yeah, that's actually been a lot of fun and allowed us to, again, um, meet some incredible people. Um, I also have served as a pro sports chaplain, um, you know, work with athletes in action. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff based off of who I am and, and what I've experienced in life that have brought me to a place that my faith is really important to me. Um, and, and it's the way that I try to live my life. So, yeah, it's uh it's been um, a blessing, if you will, for, for being able to, to be in that space and be somebody who can tell those kinds of stories in a bigger way. Yeah, it's fantastic. So, do you mind sharing, uh, like going back and, and sharing with people uh, when you were faced with a challenge and how you were able yeah, to overcome sure. it? Yeah, for sure. So uh, a lot of people that know me know that um, – my life took a drastic turn uh, the summer of 1989. Um, uh, my company uh, got hired to cover the first ever Inside Communist Russia International Athletic Event besides the Olympics. It was an ultra marathon, and um, teams from all over were basically coming to Russia to run together um, 1,000 miles across Siberia in 15 days. So ultra marathoners are the guys that run, you know, 50 to hundred miles a day for multiple days. So this was going to be a big deal. Um, and because it was, you know, behind the iron curtain, if you will, um, it was a very special event, kind of a, a once in a lifetime thing. And the short story is that in the midst of that, <clears throat> there were a few guys on the Russian team that really didn't look like ultra marathoners. And what we found out, uh, and I grew up as an athlete, <clears throat> you know, played soccer in college and, and beyond that and, and still coach and everything. But, um, you know, th there's, a, there's a certain <clears throat> way that things go between athletes that you trust each other and stuff. And like I said, these, these four guys on the Russian team didn't look like they were the same kind of ultra marathon athletes that everybody else was. And it turns out <clears throat> um, they were KGB assigned to watch us my buddy and I, because they thought we were CIA. And um, like I said, the short, the short version of that story is, is that in the midst of this race, we were actually um, taken um, and, you know, questioned as to whether we were spies or not. Um, and when I was released, it really did um, change the way I looked at things because I think at any time when you're, uh, when your life is on the line or, 
if you're not really sure of the outcome of what something might be, it, it, it gives you that pause to question. Um, and for the first time I, you know, kind of did that thing that you see in every movie, you know, where somebody looks up and goes, Hey, if, if God is real and he shows up and helps me, I, I will definitely think differently about the way I live. And, and that actually happened. And it was tangible enough that I could tell that it wasn't me and it wasn't some mistake or an accident. Um, and it, it, it literally did change everything for me and put me on this track as far as my media and the way that I sto- told stories that, that changed the way that I look at them and, and really wanted to have pot of positive influence on our culture to make a difference. And so, uh, yeah, from that day forward, um, that's kind of how things took off for me. It was, it was pretty interesting. And it's, it's impacted every part of my life as a husband, as a father, um, as a friend, uh, as a, as a business leader. Um, yeah. And whether, you know, I say it out loud or not, the, the, those principles are very important to me of having integrity and being truthful and trustworthy and, and honest in the dealings that we do in anything. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I believe enough that, um, I, I talk about it, and, and like I said, it's, it's what we pour into everything that we do. Fantastic. Um, you know, it's beautiful that you were able to overcome that situation and that it, you know, you created positive for yourself out of it, and it helps, you know, renew your lease on what's important to you, and certainly, uh, and that you share those values with people as you see fit. So, uh, you know, I, I find that very commendable, and, and not everybody has that opportunity. And it sounds funny, like we call that an opportunity, like I would call that a negative thing, an opportunity, but sometimes it's right. crazy stuff to help us figure out what's really most important to us. So yeah, how, right. how did your we, wife, we, how did your wife react to all of that? Well, uh, interestingly enough, I wasn't married at the time. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't really grow up in, in a house with faith or, you know, any kind of religious background. And so I wasn't really aware of that. Um, yeah. I, I didn't actually meet my wife until after all of that stuff happened. And uh, actually a very funny story that, that, we like to tell is within the first month, um, something interesting had happened. We had moved to Colorado and we kind of moved out to the high prairie just to kind of enjoy things. We, we moved from Philadelphia. So, you know, inner city life to, to ranch country life. <laughs> and um, it was back in the day when we had phones that were still on the wall. Right. And we were in this new house. We had just got married and um, the phone rings. And when I picked it up, somebody in Russian said, Hey, I'm looking for so-and-so. And so I, in Russian said, I think you have the wrong number. There was this brief conversation, well, but it wasn't in English. And I didn't realize it turned to look at my wife and her face is completely white. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, are you okay? And she's like, what just happened? I'm like, what do you mean? What just happened? Like, I didn't even think about it. And, um, yeah. and it was, and it was really funny. And, and she's just like, are you, a spy? I mean, she's literally shaking. Like, are you a spy or something? Like, what is going on? I'm like, oh, my gosh, no, 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 no. And, and you know, it, it's interesting because for many years after that experience, I really didn't talk about it um, because it, it was traumatic. Um, and, and granted, it had a positive outcome on who I became, but it was still mm-hmm. something that, that was hard to deal with. And um, um, oh, yeah. over the years, it has become more of my story to say, you, it's like you said, Andrea, is sometimes it takes uh, something huge to shake up your world to let you see uh, literally how blessed you are or how 
uh, privileged we are in the context of one where we live as a nation and and uh, how we may have grown up or the opportunities that have been afforded to us and so i mean it's 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 everything that that is on the line right now it's it's why we're in the midst of all the things that we're talking about now and why there's protests why there's uh people that are upset i mean it's a big deal you know some some mm-hmm. things have happened and how do we deal with that and so the question is will you deal with it in a positive way or a negative way i mean we still have to live in this country and and uh, do what we're going to do but you know we have to understand that our history is important to know what happens so we don't repeat it and we can be better at stuff. So it's the same way I look at my life. You know, I know what I did before this, uh, this thing happened to me and I know how it changed me. And so I can still look back at the old Jess and go, I don't want to do that again. And it's a good reminder for me. I mean, if you remember in the Bible, you know, the Israelites used to stones and they, and they would do that specifically to say, this is a, a, a remembrance of what happened. You know, let us not forget. And so that's, I mean, when you look at monuments and everything that's going on today, you know, that that's what they're there for is to say, we don't want to do that again. Right. Or, or that's, that's, what, that's or something yeah. that went really his, well. His, right? History is important to me and, and monuments it are is. important to me. And I'm like, like, I get it. Like this probably all happened back when they destroyed all those Greek and, Greek and Roman, you know, statues and stuff that are all crumbled on the ground now. And, you know, and, right. and, Maybe at the time that was happening too, and they didn't like those people or what they stood for. But sure. in, in destroying those things, I get it that those people in destroying them feel as if that they feel validated. But that's just a few select people who take it upon themselves to relish in that joy um, of of. And I, I don't know if the, the word joy is probably not correct, but in the, in the moment in that heat of getting out that anger or revenge or whatever it is on, on a non-physical form. But for me, all of that stuff, um, you know, and, and even, I, I even had said like even the stuff that was from, um, from Germany and from the Holocaust and all of that, Mm. uh, those items and those things, very interesting, even in that situation, um, if we don't, remember it and we don't have things to show children and stuff so that they understand the realization of it that this really did happen if those museums and stuff weren't there for that memory then then it doesn't give us an opportunity to learn from it and see it and experience it and even i was it had dawned on me i I had a student once bring something in for um a, a class like for a show and tell and it was um uh, an item from a Nazi war camp that as soon as I saw it, I'm like, you need to get this home and hide this and get insurance on this because it was made out of silver and everything. It was absolutely beautifully handcrafted. What it stood for was totally inappropriate in my world now, but at the time, that's what was happening in that country. And, you know, I realized this was a museum artifact, this thing needed to be taken care of. And it really was, I, it dawned on me at that time that the person who crafted that, while it was crafted for a reason that we don't, we, you know, or, well, most of us don't want to ever happen again. You know, we want people to be loved on and taken care of. 
the person was either forced to probably make that, um, you know, or, you know, like they probably didn't have a choice in it, like, especially in that time and era. So, so there's this other things to play in that, like who, who made those monuments? Like, did they make them by choice because they were supportive of that or were they forced to make them? You know, there's, there's, there's backstories to all of even the creation and the art of how those came to be. I don't know. To me, if we look at that art and we look at the history and then we use that as a reflection of learning more about the story and where people were at mentally and, and, you know, then we could maybe avoid those situations. But that's my opinion. So my soapbox. Yeah, no, for sure. (laughs) History teaches us a lot. And if you wipe it out, well, then you're doomed to repeat it. And, and probably the really bad part of it, you know. So yeah, let's pay. Well, right too. And and then and then I was kind of laughing because I'm like, even even in the if we don't plan the destruction of something, then it costs even more to clean it up and do whatever. And I'm like, and now right now we're offsetting monies that need to go to other things because now we have immediate cleanup and so forth. And so there's just so many so many levels of of things that are happening that uh, that's why I wish people would not react and um, anger and, and immediate gut reaction, emotional response. So that's one of the things for the keep smiling movement. I've been very present about what more can we create for a curriculum to help remove um, that hurt, pain and anger that people are holding inside that can be released so that they can, address it in a a civil way that um, still gets their voice heard and actually creates positive solutions that would be more um, help more people at a wider, wider cast. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and I could see people with invisible disabilities, um, you know, loving programs like that too, because they've been bullied and make made fun of. We just did a program the other day, and the people were talking about how how terribly they were bullied for <clears throat> having both physical disabilities and invisible disabilities that caused them to, so even though they're invisible disabilities, they like they miss school a lot and things like that where they were made fun of. And so then you yeah. hold those emotions. And <clears throat> so what haven't I asked you about that you would love to share? Oh, goodness. I think you have asked me everything <laughs> that I would want to share. Like I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm most excited for what we're working on currently with this relationship summit because um, I think people would, would resonate with, uh, with the encouragement that, all of these speakers going to give people and, and, you know, it's a short piece every day. I mean, you know, you'd, you'd love to be able to sit in a room with somebody that has this kind of deep knowledge about really, you know, what's at the core of our relationships and why they go well sometimes and why they go badly other times. I mean, that's something that, you know, we, we all want to be better at who we are, I think. And, um, whatever that looks like is, you know, how how do we, it's like you said before, is how do we create an environment that we can love one another? I mean, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's a, that's a pretty powerful statement. And, and, and if it were that, if it were just that simple, you know, and it's not because we, we all, we're all broken and, and, and we all have certain things that we're dealing with and it creates stress for different people in different ways. And again, what the, the, the reaction is, and so, yeah, our hope is that this week really is an opportunity for people to take a step back, learn more about themselves, and then, again, how to, you know, share things with their partner, their spouse, their family, their friends, whatever, 
and uh, really deal with, with what we're going through these days. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, this, this next thing is just so exciting. I'm, I'm excited for you as well. Um, and then how can other people find out more about you and visible disabilities? How would you like them to do that? For sure. If you go to invisibledisabilities.org, that's our webpage, and we have all kinds of resources there, um, free things that you can print off and, and hand to people if you're dealing with something yourself or if you want people to be more informed. Um, our, and we have a bunch of our show links are on there. We do a, a show three times a week called Invisible Encourage. That's I Encourage. And um, uh, that, that has a host of a wide range of people on, which is really informative and talk about new technologies and different things that are going on in, in uh, the disability space as far as experts in the field and personal testimonies. It's, it's, it's again, very encouraging program. And then if you're looking to join us for this summit, there are links, of course, on our website, but that's uh, loveideas.org. And uh, you could check that out and sign up. And again, if you, if you tried to go to one of these summits, uh, you know, it, it would be nothing to pay a couple hundred bucks to, to just see one of these people. And we're going to have, you know, over 10 experts for the individual stuff. It's only 10 bucks. So we're, we're thinking that's a pretty good deal for getting this many speakers and all the stuff that we're going to experience that week. Going to be amazing. So you guys have that heard sure. it here. Uh, super big, fun things happening in the world. And um, not only it's already reward enough just to come and see all the people on there and reward enough to be helping people with invisible disabilities, but add on to it that you may be part of a Guinness book, of world record. So there you go. <laughs> that makes it even more fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. So I appreciate you so much for being on with us today. And um, to remind everyone, you've been listening to the Leverage Masters with Gina Gaudio Grace from Divizio, Queen of G JV, and Andrea Adams Miller, international publicist and business consultant, the Red Carpet Connection, and executive director of the Keep Smiling Movement. And today we interviewed Jess Stainbrook with InvisibleDisabilities.org. Thank you so much, Jess, for joining me. I always um, learn so much from you and, and take so much value every time I get to share a mic with you. So thank you so much, and hopefully we'll get to meet in person someday. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's always a joy to be with you guys. All right, we'll talk with you soon. Bye-bye. All right, we'll see you. Bye. And we'll be on and we'll be on next week with Leverage Masters at noon Eastern time. See you then. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So, I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.